Well, again, want to say good morning and welcome. Thank you for joining us. want to encourage you now as we turn our attention to worship through the Word of God. If you would grab your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 16 uh, together. And if you don't have a uh, paper copy or a digital copy of God's Word, right there in the pew in front of you, there is a, a copy there. We'd encourage you to pick it up and read along with us uh, this morning is... This was a message laid on my heart just really a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was surrounding some events uh, right here at Smith Mountain Lake. You see, a little over two weeks ago, tragedy struck a family here at the lake when a two-year-old boy drowned. When things like that happen, people ask, how could a loving God allow something like this to happen? Of course, there were those, uh, that soccer team in Thailand and their coach that was trapped in that cavern when it became flooded and all but one survived and, and people were asking, why did God even allow that cavern to be flooded in the first place? And of course, we can't forget the mass shootings and terrorist attacks in, in the schools and places like New York and D.C., Orlando, London, Paris and other places. When those types of things happen, we often ask, where is God? When a young person gets diagnosed with cancer and told that despite the best doctors and the most advanced medicine in the world, there's nothing we can do, you're going to die. We ask, where is God? When we try our hardest to be a loving spouse, but our marriage ultimately ends because the other person walks away, we ask, where is God? When a child that we love, we have raised the best that we know how. We take them to church, we read the Bible with them, and we pray with them, gets hooked on drugs, overdoses, and dies. We ask, where is God? When we show up to work every day, we work as hard as we can, do the best job that we can, but the company decides to downsize or to shut down. And despite our best efforts, we find ourselves with no job and no income to pay our bills. We ask, where is God? The reality is the question, where is God, is probably the second most popular question that we ask. The most popular question, why God? These are two difficult questions to answer. Not because they don't have an answer, but because so often God chooses not to reveal that answer to us. But what if, instead of asking why God or where is God, what if we ask the question, what is God trying to teach us through this? How is God going to be glorified? And how will he work this out for my good? You see, the first two questions are accusatory. When we say, where is God or why God, we are accusing him and blaming him. And we are really saying, God, you did something wrong. But when we stop and ask the question, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Rather than accusing God of doing something wrong, we are asking, how can I learn to trust you more and to worship you more? This morning in our Bible study, we're going to meet an Egyptian slave by the name of Hagar. She probably asked both of those questions, why God and where is God? 
But let's ask and answer the third question. How can God be glorified through this? And how can it draw me closer to him? Because the one big thing, as you see on the screen, says what God allows is for his glory. And it is meant to draw us into a relationship of faith and trust in him alone. Let's look at it together. If you found Genesis chapter 16, you can. Would you stand to honor the reading of God's word with me? Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hands. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child and shalt bear a son and shalt call his name Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her. Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? This is the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And now, God, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word and the study of it. Lord, may we not just hear words that transmit information, but Lord God, may you transform our character that we may bear that image of the one we call Lord and Savior. Lord, I ask that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth from your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What God allows is for his glory, and it's meant to draw us into a relationship of faith and trust in him alone. The title of this morning's message is this, Does God Care? I want to submit to you three biblical points in our text that will hopefully demonstrate that yes God does care the first one we see in verse 8 and it is this that God knows you now before we get too far into this study we need to do a little theological work because starting in verse 7 you'll see a phrase that says angel of the Lord well who is this talking about well the angel of the Lord is a was known as a Christophany that's a pre-Bethlehem vision of Jesus So before Jesus was born of a virgin Mary, 
there thousands of years later, he was still God. And so he appears here to, to, Sarah, to Hagar. So I want us to understand here that God came and was talking with Hagar here. And literally, Jesus doesn't say, hey, lady who's in distress, or hey, woman who is crying. Notice what he says in verse 8. Hagar, Sarah's handmaid. He calls her by her name. Showing that he knows this woman that he is talking to. The Bible tells us that it is God who formed us in our mother's womb. That it is God who has formed and fashioned us our days, even before we lived the first one. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 says, Two sparrows are sold for a farthing, yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Later in that text it says, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. That God knows you. We're going to see here in just a little bit that God knows what you're going through. That this God who spoke everything into existence and said, and God created, yet when it comes to the creation of man, he uses a different word. He didn't say God created. He said God formed man. And the Hebrew word means an intimate work. You weren't just brought about by happenstance or circumstance. You were created, unlike the rest of creation, in the image of God. You were loved by God. And he proved it by dying in our place. Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 8, But God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're hurting because life can be difficult. You may be in a crowd, but you feel alone. You may think nobody notices me, nobody cares about me. You may have even entertained the notion if I never came back to this church, nobody ever missed me. Let me tell tell you something. Please hear this. God knows you, and God made you, and God died for you because God loves you. You are not junk. You are not an accident. You are not even here by by an accident. You were sent to worship here this morning because the sovereign God has something he wants to say to you. God knows you, and he knows what you need. I love what, what Hagar says towards the end of her text, he says, you, she says, you are the God who sees me. In the Hebrew, it's El-Rohi. This isn't just some cosmic God who created everything and doesn't uh, interact with his creation. Hagar says, you are the God who created me and knows me and desires a relationship with me. You see me right where I'm at. Which leads us to the second way that we know God cares. God sees your circumstances. Verses 8 to 13 in our text. You know, sometimes we find ourselves 
in difficult circumstances because of sinful, poor choices that we make. This is certainly the case of Abraham and Sarah. You see, the text says that they had been in the land of Canaan for 10 years. So at least 10 years prior, and actually longer, God promised Abraham back in Genesis 15 that he is going to give Abraham a son who is going to be an heir, who is going to bless Abraham. He's going to bless the world through this heir. Yet it's been 10 years that they've been living in this land, and God has not fulfilled that promise just yet. And so Abraham, in, in chapter 15, he gets the idea, well, maybe it's one of my servants who's going to be my heir. God goes, no, that's not the case. So then we come into Genesis chapter 16, and Sarah says, well, God's the one who's closed my womb, so maybe God's going to use my servant, my slave, to produce an heir for you, Abraham. See, what, what they were really doing is this. Abraham and Sarah were playing God instead of trusting God. You ever been there? You ever taken things into your own hands and tried to fix it? Only to go, oh, Lord, I didn't want that to happen. Ever been there? I think we all understand it here because we are Abraham and Sarah. We want to take matters into our own hands. It's not that we don't trust God. It's we just want God to hurry up. Okay, by the way, if that's what you're saying, it's because you don't trust God. And that's where Abraham and Sarah are. Now, here's the thing. Abraham, instead of being a loving, helpful husband, the the text says that he hearkened to the voice of Sarah. So he compounds his mistake. Abraham willingly defiled his marriage. Why? Because he just wanted his wife to leave him alone. He, He wasn't patient enough. And then to compound his mistake, we see Sarah come, and Hagar's pregnant, and old Sarah is mad. Look at what it says, okay? Literally, it says in the end of verse 5, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and you. Like Sarah is blaming Abraham for this, even though it was her idea. By the way, this isn't anything new. You go all the way back to Genesis 3. We always blaming somebody else, right? Eve Eve blamed Adam. Well, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake, and the poor snake didn't have any legs to stand on. There's Genesis 3 for you. And and, and then you, you come into Genesis 4. Cain gets mad because he doesn't worship God the way he is supposed to, okay? He gets mad at his brother. He kills his brother. God comes and goes, hey, uh, Cain, where's your brother? What does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? Not my fault. This blame game is nothing new. But instead of calming down the situation, Abraham goes, hey, listen, that's your servant, She's in your hands. You do whatever you want with her. See, ladies, you thought true manhood died in our society. Oh, no, no, no. This poor leader, weak-willed, go-with-the-flow type of manhood has existed for thousands of years. 
The only thing that's changed is they've gone from camel hair wearing bearded men to wearing skinny jeans and man buns. Nothing's changed. And we see it over and over and over. But again, what about us? I mean, do we not find ourselves in the same exact spot where instead of trusting God, we want to play God? Have we forgot, church, what it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31? But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Yeah, I got to thinking about that soccer team. You know, as a parent of four young kids, our kids get to go out and do stuff, but I'm always worried about them when they're not with us. Always wondering, you know, hey, are they going to come home to us? I imagine those parents were, were like, hey, go on, have a great time. Just supposed to be a leisurely day exploring a cavern. And then all of a sudden something changed, and that cavern gets flooded. And I imagine the, the hopes of the parents were just completely as low as they could go. They're probably thinking, I need to start planning my child's funeral. But then word breaks that they found these children, and they're alive. And so now can you imagine the excitement that they're feeling? As a parent, what are you saying? Go get them. Like, you should have got them out of that cave like yesterday. Go. But then all of a sudden the news breaks. And they're saying it could be months before we get these children out. The, the first estimate was October. We're talking three months of the darkest conditions you can imagine. As a parent, that's not going to do. Like, go get my kid. But one of the quotes I, I heard coming out all that came from an Italian Navy SEAL. And he said, slow is fast. If we go fast, we could make a mistake that would cost the lives of those children. Now, as a parent, you want your child to come alive. Do you really want to wait this long? This is where they are feeling. And this is so often where we are because we feel like God is saying something to us and we wanted it yesterday. And God's going, no, 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 time's not right. So sometimes we find ourselves in bad places because of sinful choices you and I have made. However... Sometimes we find ourselves suffering because of the sins of others. And this is Hagar's story. See, Hagar was an Egyptian, so she's a foreigner, and she is a handmaid. She's a slave. Slaves don't get to call the shots in their own life. Their job is to do what their master tells them to do. She didn't have a choice whether she wanted to be Abraham's wife she was told to do it, and she needed to do it. Now, what did Hagar get for her obedience to her master? Well, she got used, abused, and thrown out while pregnant. She didn't have a chance to go to a home for unwed mothers. The Bible says she was in the wilderness. And this is where the story begins to change. 
This is where the gospel becomes center stage. Because what we see here in our text is this, verse 8. And he, being Jesus, said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, which camest thou and whither wilt thou go? Hagar, why are you here? And where are you going? Now, God didn't ask this question because he didn't know the answer to it. He was asking the question because he wanted Hagar to admit how hopeless and helpless her situation was. And folks, this is the gospel application for us. That in sin, we are hopeless and we are helpless. We are in the wilderness of sin and we are separated from God just waiting to die. We have to be able to admit that. That in our sin, that's where we're at. And so Hagar needed to admit that she was in a bad situation that she couldn't fix. Have you ever been there? But what we see here is that God pursued Hagar in her pain. God knew the circumstances that Hagar was facing. And God came to her. Reminds me of a story in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. The younger of the two sons walks up to his dad and, and basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't like you. I don't like living in your house. I don't want to live by your rules. Give me my money and let me go. Now, he didn't exactly use those words, but he did walk up to his dad and go, Hey, Dad, divide between us the inheritance that's coming to me. And where do you get an inheritance? When somebody dies. So again, he was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money and let me go live my own life. And the dad does. And the Bible says that this younger son goes off to this far away country and he spends everything he's got on reckless living. Later on in the text, we see that it was partly with prostitutes. He was living a life all about himself and pleasure. But one day, after all of his money on women and gambling, a famine hit. He's out of money. He doesn't have a home. And he's hungry. And so he's forced to take a job that no self-respecting Jewish person would want feeding a pig and he's doing then so one night after feeding the pigs and just wanting to eat the slop that the pigs were being served he it, the text says that he came to himself and said this is crazy my father's servants eat better and live better than i do so i'm gonna go home tomorrow and i'm gonna tell my dad father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be your son but i will be your servant so sure enough, he gets up and he heads off. Now, he's got his, his speech rehearsed. And this is where it really gets beautiful. Because the text says, And when his father looked up and saw him afar off, his father came running to him and fell down and kissed his son. This son thought that he was going to have to do something to get back in the graces of his dad. And what he learned there is his daddy never stopped loving him. The reality is some of you are making some very poor choices right now. 
You are in flat rebellion against God. God is not happy with it, but God still loves you. He desires a relationship with you. And this is the gospel that the prodigal son is, is the gospel that all of us, we have lived in this faraway country and we have wasted our life on us. Yet when we come to ourselves and we come to God in grace and faith, he receives us. Not that we deserved it. Not that we earned But because of who he is, he freely gives it to us. Church, you and I have to know that God knows what it's going to take for us to come to him in faith. God will lay you on your back so that the only way you can look is up. Because it's when you and I look up that we realize that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth in Psalm 121. Now for some of you, it didn't take a whole lot for you to come to the end of you. Some of you grew up in church. You sang the songs, you heard the sermons, and you knew you needed Jesus, and you came to Him. For some of you, You're a little bit hard-headed. You're a little bit slower. I'm not judging you. I'm with you. And God has to let you wander off into that far country and feed the pigs before you finally realize just how good you had it to begin with. And when we come to the end of us, that's where we find the grace of Jesus has been waiting on us. God will allow pain in your life. Sometimes because of your sin. Sometimes as the consequence for the sin of others. But it is always for the purpose of drawing you to Him. We will, A.W. Tozer said, we will never know that God is all we need until He's all we got. And I don't know what pain you're going through. I don't know why God is allowing it, but I do know this. God has a plan and a purpose behind it. He is not wasting your pain. God has not brought you this far to abandon you now. That grace that saved you will be the grace that sustains you in the good times and in the bad times. But you got to come to the end of yourself. you got to stop trying to call the shots, and you just got to humble yourself before Almighty God. He's waiting on you. And he loves you. And he proved it by dying for you. Which leads me into the third and final biblical point of this text. And it is this. God has a plan for your life. Now this is where the story gets real fun. God tells Hagar, you're pregnant with Abraham's child. Go back. Return and submit to your mistress. You want me to do what? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm afraid we're speaking two different languages. Do you not know that this woman used me 
And when she didn't like what I did, she threw me out. And now you are telling me to go back to her and to submit to her? Like to willingly put myself under her authority? You have lost your mind. Notice God didn't like bargain with her, right? He just said, go do it. Oh, I bet we've had a few of those Hagar moments, haven't we? You want me to love that? Them? Do you know what they've done to me? Do you know what they said about me? Do you know how they treated me? And you want me to love them? Oh, I not only want you to love them, I want you to forgive them. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, huh? No, 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 no. You know what? I, I could forgive them if they did this. And maybe they did that. But they've done this, that, and the other. I'm done. Return and submit. How many of us want to sign up for that? Mm. But here's the truth on this, this church. Blessings come through obedience. Blessings come through obedience to the word of God. Now let's not forget where God found Hagar. He found her in the wilderness. If Hagar didn't submit to what God said, if she didn't obey, guess what? She would have died with her unborn child in her womb in that wilderness. The consequences of Hagar disobeying would have been far more tragic than any discomfort she felt by obedience. And this is what you and I need to learn Sometimes obeying God isn't going to be easy, but it is the pathway to the blessed life that God has for us. Bad things are going to happen, church. People are going to hurt you. I'm sorry. But it's going to happen. Jesus told us, John 16 and verse 33, In this world you will have a tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus said, life down here is going to be difficult, but because I win, church, you win. One verse that often gets trotted out around uh, graduation time and when people are hurting is Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Man, we love our bumper sticker theology, don't we? Man, we slap that on a bumper sticker, we coffee mug that thing, and we hand it. Somebody suffered, hey, I got a mug for that. All right, can we please keep it in context for a moment? All right, because you back it up one verse later, uh, earlier, just kidding, back it up earlier. How you do that? You back it up one verse before that, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, says, And when 70 years in Babylon are accomplished. What does that mean? Jeremiah, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, had said, Israel, because of your sin, you're going to suffer for 70 years. But it's okay, because I know what it's going to take to break Israel of Israel. And once you have been broken of yourself, I'm going to restore you. That's what he was really saying. Talk about Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Israel, you have been living in sin and disobedience to me. And because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. 
But I know how this is going to end, Israel. It's going to be okay. Because this is going to break you of you. And I'm going to restore you. Reminds me of another popular verse that we love the coffee mug. Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, please do me a favor. When coffee mugging a verse, put the whole verse on there. Too many people go, and all things are good. Or all things are good. No, no, is that what the verse says? The verse says, and all things work together for good. It means sometimes in this life, you're going to suffer. And you're going to go through trials and hardships. But the sovereign God is bigger than any scheme of Satan and any deception of man. God is bigger than that because he is sovereign. He holds everybody in his hands. Isn't that what we sang growing up? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got us all there. And so whatever the world does to us, the sovereign God can work for us when we trust him. See, the blessings aren't found in the good times. The greatest blessings of our life is found when we are faithful in the most difficult of times. We can say, my grace is sufficient for you, for in weakness my strength is revealed when it's good. But when you find yourself in the lowest point possible, when you are hurting and broken and angry and scared and confused, and you feel like, God, I can't take one more step. God, I can't do this. God, I don't want to do this. And then you just hear him whisper, my grace is sufficient. And you put one foot in front of the other, and in front of the other. And that fiery pit that you were walking through, now you're on the other side. That large body of water that's piled up on both sides, and you're going, man, this thing's going to collapse on me, and I'm done for. Now you're on the other side, and you're looking back going, how did I do that? You did, God did. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. We got to go through the tough times. To not only say, but to know he is sufficient. We may not understand what's going on. We may not enjoy it. But it's a call to trust him. And if you're suffering this morning, and you're hurting, I want to encourage you to do yourself a favor. Take your eyes off of you. Take your eyes off your circumstances. Read the word of God and pray. And as you read and you pray, I want you to remember who you're reading about and who you're praying to. You are reading and praying to an all-knowing, all-powerful, loving, gracious, merciful God. Trust Him. Give Him your life and your heart. Because he knows what's best for us. I'm not saying it's not hurting. I'm not saying you don't want to throw your hands up and just walk away and go, man, this would be a whole lot easier. You will never know the faithfulness of God and the power of God until you persevere with God. So how do we apply this? I want to give you two things fairly quickly. 
Number one, God has not forgotten you. God has not brought you this far to abandon you now. He said not once but twice in his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1, 5, Hebrews 13, 5. Now, let's be honest. Satan loves to play mind games with us, doesn't he? Especially when life isn't going the way we think it ought to. Satan loves to plant seeds of doubt in our mind. He loves to cause us to question God, his love for us, and his purpose for us. When you are feeling scared, alone, and afraid... It is not from God because he is not the author of fear and confusion, but he has given us a power of love. And so not. God has not forgotten you, brother or sister. God has not forgotten us, church. He knows where you're at. He knows the struggles and the strains and stresses that only you and he know. And yet he still stands and says, I still love you. I still have a plan and a purpose for you. I know it hurts right now, but I am working it for your good and my glory. Which leads to the second application. Will you trust him? Will you trust God? Southern Baptist Convention's pastor conference, uh, pastor's conference past June, Dr. Tony Evans had a quote that just stuck with me. Quote, God will create a crisis in order for you to turn to him. End quote. Because God's highest glory is seen in the salvation of the lost. God will allow whatever is necessary, if you're far from him, to break you of you so that you will see your need for him. We sing the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What Hagar was experiencing was because of Abraham and Sarah's fault. But she still had to deal with it. Which is an important lesson for you and I to remember. Abraham and Sarah played God instead of trusting God. And they forgot that decisions they make affect other people. Husbands, I want to say this to you real quick. The decisions you make in public or private don't just affect you. They affect your wife and they affect your children. The decisions every one of us in this room make don't just affect us. They have ramifications years from now. Pastor Jonathan Falwell at uh, Thomas Road put it this way. What one generation does in moderation, the next will do in excess. Ooh, that will preach. What we tolerate, what we dabble in now, parents, is what our children will run to in their lifetime. When we think that we know better than God or we try to run ahead of God's plan, we need to know this headache and heartache, they're going to follow us. And our decisions are going to affect other people. 
Abraham and Sarah, they chose to disobey God, but it affected Hagar. It affected Ishmael. And guess what? If you read what's going on over in the Middle East, you know, with uh, Israel and Iran, Iraq, and all of those, guess what? This decision of Genesis 16 has been affecting the world for 4,000 years. Church, we got to have the faith of Hagar. I never thought I'd ever say that line. She's an Egyptian. And she was loved by God. She was told to go back to Sarah. Even though it probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to her, she obeyed it. And God was faithful. God will allow difficult times in your life so that you come to the end of yourself and trust him for salvation. There's a good chance some of you this morning are running from God. Now, you wouldn't characterize yourself as running from God. Fact of the matter, you're probably blaming God for this lot in life you're at right now. But God is simply allowing you to experience what you say you wanted so that you will realize he knows better than we do. That we would admit that we are sinners. That we would believe that Jesus Christ died in our place. That we could have, that he died for me so I could have the life I could never have apart from him. Maybe this is the number one application for you. To trust the Lord your God with your heart this morning. But the gospel isn't just for the sinner, it's also for the saint. Maybe God's allowing difficult times in your life right now so that our faith and trust will deepen in Him. That we'll learn to walk by faith and not by sight. So the question we have to ask this morning is very simple. Will I trust God? Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father God, as we come to the conclusion of this second service today, Father, we count it a joy to be able to come into your house and to worship you and and to sing songs like Let It Rise because, God, we do pray that the glory of the Lord would have invaded this place this morning. And that because the spirit of the living God is here, we are confident that he has spoken. Because your word says in Isaiah that the word of the Lord will go out and it will not return void, but it will accomplish what you have desired it to. Father, I I am nothing more than a person. I don't know what people here are going through. I don't know what has brought them to this point. But Father, I praise you this morning because you do and you have brought them here. Now, Father, I plead. Father, may your Holy Spirit move in this place to where our hearts are broken over our sin and we fall at your feet in humility and we worship you. That those who are far from you today, they would draw near to you. 
confessing their sin and believing in Jesus that they might be saved today. But Father, for my brothers and my sisters in Christ who are here, Father, would we also fall at your feet and worship you. That we would take our eyes off of ourselves and that we would fix them on you. That we would live for you. Move in this place. Let us respond to your grace. For your glory, for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's invitation is going to be, what a friend we have in Jesus. If you've never come to that point where you have admitted that you are a sinner who deserved God's judgment, but you realize that he died in your place, and you just want to surrender your heart to his grace this morning, this invitation is for you. If there's a burden or a trial that's going on in your life, if you kind of feel like we talked about Hagar, not, don't want to do it, would you respond to the grace of God? Because this isn't about me. This isn't about this church. This is about you. It's about our hearts. We're going to sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. As God has spoken, you respond.